0: Hi everyone and welcome to Inside Futsal episode number 10 and what a show we have today with one of the best guests I've been looking so forward to over the past couple of weeks talking about two of the best games of the UEFA Futsal Euro 2022 I can't wait all the way from Spain out here we have David Tapia Owens I pronounced that right correct yeah you got it I love it i love it i earned myself a cookie well listen david um you and your brother run the best futsal magazine that's ever existed only three issues in i can say that with absolute authority uh tell us otc on the court before we get started where can people find you guys
1: you know the the main sort of page we use at the moment is our twitter so if you search otc underscore coach if not, just on our website, you know that's where we sell the magazine through now. So on thecourtcoach.com. Yeah, if not, just just get in touch with us on Twitter. We've got a very easy name, I suppose to find. There's not very many of us, so yeah, I'm sure. It comes on Twitter. Well,
0: I can I can absolutely say that it is the best magazine out there in futsal. So if you are someone who is a coach, especially a coach, uh, player, uh, referee, an administrator, someone who's involved as a volunteer, as a builder, promoter or you happen to know someone that is, I can assure you 100% at two pounds, two British pounds less than the price of a cup of Starbucks coffee, you will get the best content in magazine coverage in Futsal worldwide. I can say that hands down, I will give you the two pounds if you don't like it. That's how much I like the product. And if that wasn't enough, issues one and two are currently free online. So you're getting three magazines for two pounds out there. And they do a great, great amount of work with charities out there. Uh, I think you guys had donated uh, about 50 pence per uh, to uh, the Papyrus organization, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, so 50p from every single sale will go to a different charity each month. So last month was Papyrus, who looked into mental health and suicide. You know, and this month, because of World Cancer Day today, we've decided to go with Children with Cancer UK. So yeah, anything that we put up, you know, there's going to be more stuff going on in our shop this month. There's going to be a few different items, but yeah, we're sticking with that 50 pence from every single item we go to whichever charity. So if there's any charities that people have a a close tie to, then if they can get in touch, and we're look looking to get in and sort it as well.
0: Well, I love it. Well, we're definitely going to talk more about the magazine and content inside, and and I assure you, everybody listening, uh, and the numbers are growing on Spotify. We're coming on iTunes later on today. Thank you so much for the support here. Um, You know, we have this great, uh, you know, conversation series out here and with great guests and with today, like I said, we're going to talk about the greatest futsal magazine on the planet. Uh, A little later on, go into depth on why it's the best magazine and what they do, how they did it, the whole nine yards. But everyone came in to tune in about the UEFA futsal Euro semifinals. My friend, you caught both games and right off the top, how did you feel about that epic encounter between the Ukraine and Russia?
1: I think it was one of those, you know. I think when, when you watch the game, it really does sum up that even in futsal, when you've got a game with not necessarily the technical or tactical level that we expected from the two teams, you know, I think it was quite a low-level game in terms of quality. And then to all of a sudden play with everybody's emotions in the way it did. I mean, those last... 10 minutes, 15 minutes were just crazy, you know. To even have my girlfriend, you know, jumping out of her seat with those last few opportunities, you know, that's what futsal is all about. Like, every game will be played through to the end. No matter what the quality was like throughout, anything can happen. And, and, you know, what a game. With with the background of of the two teams meeting as well, I think it added to it a little bit.
0: Yeah, the suspense of this match was absolutely unbelievable. I, I literally was standing up in my living room for pretty much the last 15 minutes of the match. I I couldn't get enough. I I have a nice comfy couch sitting there. I could have been uh, enjoying my nice uh, cup of tea, but I was just, uh, you know, I'm on my toes like I was in the stadium. And I mean, the the match was great. Uh, The the atmosphere was fantastic. I mean, there's only 1,250 people allowed into the arena because of the COVID restrictions. Um, But that 1,250 made it sound like a packed capacity crowd. It was absolutely amazing. I would have absolutely loved to have been there. Um, You know, everyone was making a big hype, you know, before the match about Ukraine versus Russia, you know, and the political situation that's going on on the Eastern border there uh, of Ukraine and and all the stuff that's happening. But, you know, there was a lot to be made about it. But the reality is these teams know each other very well. Um, you know, they, they've come across each other in past tournaments. I think the last was Euro 2007. Um, and at the, the end of the day, this was about sport. This was a futsal classic. Uh, and, and ultimately, it was about the game. And I saw a lot of good sportsmanship. Um, and, and ultimately, it was just a classic out there. So, I mean, let, let's get through the match. I mean, two minutes in and Russia get uh, an absolute, you know, fortunate tip. Uh, you know, coming in out there. What what was it like, you know, off that, you know, Sokolov shot? What was your uh, initial take on that?
1: Well, I think, you know, before the kickoff even started, I think we were all surprised to see um, Antoshkin and Robinho sat in the stands. I mean, that news just came out of nowhere. Like, I hadn't seen anything about that one. They kept that one really quiet. But you know, the next big player that Russia have had in this tournament would be Shishkala. But from there, Sokolov as well has has been very reliable. He's been a great reference point for them, you know, in the in their 3-1 system. And I think, you know, Ukraine, when they saw that starting lineup, they would have felt they had chances. With all due respect to Paulinho and Nando, I don't think that they were going to, you know, have that much of a scare factor as the other players. But for two minutes in, to, to get a goal, another set piece, by the way, which I've been tracking a lot of data on the set pieces, so it was good for me, but... You know, another set piece set to him and, and that little flick, the little nudge of Paulinho. I think it took a little touch of Paulinho. So yeah, you know, you take them, don't you? Any deflection.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's you know we saw what happened with Russia just getting that goal, and they just you know happened to control the pace and defensively they were just solid. They were they were just you know completely compact out there, and they were rewarded you know shortly after with uh, it was uh, the second goal, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Afanasiyev, if I'm not mistaken, and he followed up from that rebound, an absolutely beautiful throw uh, from Putilov that was right on the money. The header just hit the bar. Follows up, finishes. I mean, you know we we hear a lot about. You know, Hegita and 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 Geeta and all these all the amazing goalies around the world. You know, do you think that Putulov is really getting um, the, the the respect uh, that he deserves? Um, you know, with such an amazing team in front of him, it doesn't seem uh, that you know people really think of him when they think of Russian stars.
1: Definitely, I think you've absolutely nailed it. I think that everybody assumes now that Futsal's going in the direction of the the goalkeeper being the fifth player in attack and having that shock factor. You know, and in Spain, I know Herrero as well has had a lot of backlash because they didn't think he would be able to do it. And then, you know, Putilov, t- to recognise as well, I think that, you know, the first goal was arguably a mistake by Sipun in net for Ukraine. And the same again, that second goal to take advantage of the, it was a bad exchange with, at that point, they were playing as, as a flag goalkeeper, Zvarik. You know, and he was too slow to come off. Sipun's running on and Putilov, I mean, he's just picked out the perfect throw. And, you know, we'll get into it later, but that penalty save, come on, this guy's ridiculous. I mean, and going back to the World Cup as well, you have to think Russia did not concede many goals at the World Cup. You know, it took took penalties with Argentina for them to get knocked out. So, you know, their defence is so solid and I think it's built around Putilov, if anything
0: yeah i mean he was nominated for uh you know best goalkeeper at the futsal Awards. so you know good job on uh, luca and uh, miko and the crew for nominating him out there because i i saw him and i'm just going this guy's phenomenal out here you know he's not called upon heavily like other goalkeepers but when he is called upon the man delivers and certainly as you alluded to earlier that pk stop saved russia uh and single-handedly brought them over uh you know booked their last ticket over to the final so uh you know congratulations to a great performance there um you know, we saw Ukraine, you know, you know, make a little bit of a comeback, obviously. You know, it was 2-1. That was a left-footed shot, uh, you know, low. I think it was a Syrii that scored the goal. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it was yeah. And But then I think, uh, you know, in the second half, we saw – we've seen a lot of goals, a lot of goal of the, the tournament candidates, especially in the group stage. Um, but this one in particular, if this isn't a top three nominee – Hey, I don't know what it is, but uh, Nyesov with this absolutely beautiful overhead kick that came off a, a, an incredible cross from Nando, uh, who just, you know, nailed it. It was it was like a, one magnet to another uh, on his foot. Uh, tell us about that goal and what did you like about it?
1: You know, it was one of those, as I said before, I feel like up until that moment, the, the overall quality in terms of technical and tactical ability really didn't, meet the expectations that, that we had in mind for Ukraine and Russia, who had both been playing really, really well, you know, and, and then Nando, the, the pass that's about knee height, that's become really, really popular in Futsal recently, especially from set pieces, you know, people really find it difficult to defend against. And, you know, he's, he's opened up his hip in a 1v1 and he's found that pass. I, I would potentially say that. I think he might have overhit it. I think he's hit it a bit too high. I think he was probably aiming for a little bit lower to allow Niazov to volley it. But, I mean, come on, Niazov, to, to pull that off in such a big game, at such a key moment, it's just ridiculous. That scissor kick from from a tough angle. You know, and Seapun, to be fair, he's got across, he's done a good split save, but it was just... It was so close to the post as well. It was, I mean... I love Horvat's goal, but I'd say that in terms of the the scenario, Miazov might take all of the tournament for me.
0: Yeah, I, I have to go and look at all the goals from this tournament at the end and and really see where I'm going to give my vote to. You know, Horvat still has it, uh, and and I mean he scored two absolute golosos in this tournament, and but yeah. that first one it was just this absurd futsal highlight reel that we're going to watch this this goal 10 years from now and just sit there and go oh that was so dirty and so nice to watch uh but this one out here this is if this isn't one of the highlights of the night worldwide on sports uh reels across the world uh i think they need to shut down the networks because it was just absolute world-class precision uh and just i mean the ability uh, to have this coordination to have the ability to adapt your body and just nail it on that short side out there. I mean, it was remarkable stuff. Yeah, so, I think,
1: uh, and Abramov nearly showed him up about a minute later. I know. <laughs> you know. If that happened, I think that's it. I think he would have taken it. But yeah, it, w- what a, goal.
0: What a we, goal. We could watch Russia play all day. They, they were my tournament favorites to win. I picked them in Portugal in the final and luckily we're going to get that. I wish I would have put down 20 quid on that selection, you know, <laughs> before the hand, maybe I would have had a little, uh, you know, a little change in the pocket. Um, who do you have coming into the tournament as favorites?
1: You know, I, I was fortunate enough to go to the Spain versus Portugal game recently here in Malaga, you know, and Spain just demolished Portugal, especially in a second half. They looked unstoppable. I mean, Lozano is just dragging the team along, you know, and in on that day as well, Ziki really, really struggled when they played here. So, you know, I, I really did think that Spain would pull through and not just that, if you know for those who've read issue three of the magazine we really did see kazakhstan as big threats and you know maybe just because i saw that game i, I thought portugal were a bit less than they actually are but yeah obviously russia and portugal we, we, we were aware of they would have been our third and fourth but you know they, they've done the job they've, they've got it done and fair play to them they've been playing some good stuff
0: i can't wait for sunday i mean we'll 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 finish the rest of the recaps and really get into what's going to happen on sunday i think it's going to be one of the best futsal games uh of the year hands down not just because it's a championship but because they're both two high quality level teams um you know with different styles that scrap and claw all the way to the end um let me ask you you know towards the end when ukraine pulled one back um then they get the pk then they have one last glorious chance with about 20 seconds left um you know, what were your thoughts? Because that was the most intense ending to any game of this entire you know, trip.
1: You know, I think as well, if people want to watch another great goal from the Euros, I think, you know, Abashkin's finish is, is really high quality. You know, Shoturma, they finally figured out a solution for the 5v4. I think they're really struggling with Lebed and Siri at the back. They couldn't get shots and they spun Shoturma into central position and he's fired it towards goal. And Abashkin is just flicked it just slightly to lift it over Putilov. I mean, it's a great goal as well. And then from there, as you said, Abashkin's had another one. What, about two metres from goal centrally? It's just come at him at such a speed. I I thought, you know, head in my hands, I thought I was in. And then final one again, they had levied at the back post with about three seconds to go. You know, Russia were really on the ropes, you know, 100%. I think that any other day, it could have Ukraine could have got back into it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Ukraine had finished as, as runners-up in this tournament on two previous occasions out there, and, and not too many people really gave him an opportunity to get this far. I certainly had Serbia finishing in second place in Group A, uh, but the Ukraine absolutely demolished them uh, like a piece of unattended luggage at an airport, and it was just something else to behold. And when, when Ukraine ended up playing Portugal, uh, and they dominated that first half, I had to sit back and go, whoa, okay, this team is, is for real. They are peaking at the right time. We saw what happened in the second round. And to get you know, against your, you know, your, your sporting rivals and political rivals in this game and, and the, the effort that they put, um, by the skin of their teeth, they missed out on taking this game to, to extra time. Uh, mm-hmm. So we can certainly say to the entire Ukrainian team and all those fans, uh, congratulations, because uh, they're going to put a lot of fear in a lot of teams uh, when they see them on the schedule moving forward. Where do you see Ukraine's next phase to grow and take that next step forward?
1: You know, it's going to be interesting how they replace Shoturma. You know, he's getting old now. He's he's been their key figure for years. Um, But but what I really do like about Kosenko, though, is is the way that he's really maximizing that squad. You know, you're looking at 90-second changes and he's got two on, two off. Every 90 seconds, you know, their intensity was so high and defensively they were so good throughout spells against Portugal and Kazakhstan. And, you know, I felt a little bit let down today that even they ended up on five fouls quite early on, but they weren't even pressing as intensely as we might have expected. You know, and I think although they built back into the game today, I think they really need to try and build on those other performances from the tournament and try and identify that and get players that are willing to to take that new futsal p- approach of high intensity, especially off the ball, you know, and if you can get players that are capable of doing that, you know, they're the, they're the international teams that are going to have a lot of success.
0: Yeah, and and I can hope, and, I, and I, everybody hopes that, you know, the situation uh, on the uh, geopolitical scale, you know, eases up and cooler heads prevail because the last thing anyone wants to see is, uh, you know, any, any sort of war, any sort of, um, you know, attacks and stuff like that and you know beyond that obviously sport is you know not even secondary it's so much lower down the tier but it can bring people together and i i want to see the ukrainian league you know continue to emerge and i want to see young players have the opportunity uh to play in in a safe environment that's allowed to grow and hopefully the Ukraine Federation and, and they also have the Ukraine Futsal Federation uh, you know, working on their behalf to uh, take it up to the next level. And I'll be honest, playing for a bronze medal match at the Euro, uh, that's enough incentive for more investment out there. And hopefully we get to see that from the Ukraine.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, it, you know, it's gonna be interesting anyway in that third and fourth place game against Spain. I know Spain had a, a relatively easy job against them recently in some friendlies, but you know, they were missing Zvarik at that point. You know, they, and they really had Corson running the show. But, you know, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm guessing they're just going to use that whole squad though and give a lot of minutes to the, the substitute goalkeepers. But yeah, I think a third place as well would, you know, because obviously I want Spain to win that game too. But, you know, I'd happily have Ukraine take that. And, you know, hats off to both Ukraine and Russia today for their you know their professionalism. Every time they were asked about it, they really did. They didn't even comment about anything. It was purely sport-based, and that—that that is the magic of sport. Now you can bring people together through any situation.
0: No question. At the World Cup, I, I was fortunate to see a few Russian games, and I was able to speak uh, with the help of Alexander at the Russian Federation, whose English is far better than my Russian, which is absolutely nyet. Uh And pretty much, uh, they're just super humble, always wanting to talk. Um, and 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 the one guy you mentioned that was absolute class, um, you know, earlier. Not just on the court who had a phenomenal game, but before the game and talking about this and downplaying it was Chishkala, um, you know, who sat there and said, we know the guys in the Ukraine. We talked to them, you know, and it's like they're, they're friends, you know, they're colleagues in the sport. Um, and it's just about the the game. It's nothing personal. It's just straight up business on the court. And that's what we like to see. Um, so, you know, hit, you know, uh, as uh, Steve Harris of Futsal Japan likes to say, you know, uh, a tip of the hat uh, to Chishkala and the professionalism of the Russian players, coaches in the Federation, always been top class with me and uh, showcasing that to the international audience today on the court and off the court. And yes, that pun was intended for the magazine. Now, Russia moving forward, getting to play Portugal. Let's go through this Portugal-Spain match. I mean, I didn't think uh, halfway through that first half, I thought I'm like, there's nothing that's going to top the Ukraine-Russia match in terms of uh, suspense uh and and drama but boy that second half was something else now portugal come into this game unbeaten in 31 competitive matches i mean they've lost obviously in friendlies and whatnot you know spain uh they played uh, two friendlies out there but i mean 31 games it's impressive dating back to the 2016 world cup uh over uh, down in uh, colombia but they also beat spain in 2018 and then eliminated them from the quarterfinals in 2021. Um, Spain obviously looking ridiculously dominant, particularly in their last two games. It was just kind of like, oh, this is this is the Spain of old coming back out of there. What were your expectations uh, coming into this match between these two rivals and juggernauts in world futsal?
1: You know, I, I did expect a lot more from Spain, to be honest. I think even with the 2-0 lead, you know, Portugal, I mean, that... I analysed the, the game as it was going on as well, so I was tracking all of the data. And, I mean, the amount of shots that Portugal were getting off and from dangerous areas or what are deemed to be dangerous areas, you know, and I did expect a lot more from Spain, especially after seeing, like I said, that 6-0 recently against Portugal. You know, that that was, for me, a tipping point. I thought that that is it. Now Lofano is going to drag this team through. You know, Ortiz putting in some of the performances of his life despite his age and all of a sudden the squad effort as well, bringing Solano in as a dominant pivot to be able to to have that reference point. I just saw Spain having too much for Portugal, but, you know, as they've done many a time, as they did at the World Cup as well, you know, Portugal stepped up and and to be fair to them, they absolutely dominated Spain. So that's off to them as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we saw obviously, you know, Spain in the first half, you would have, you know you you couldn't have been blamed for mistaking uh that maybe a brick wall had been laid across the the Spanish goal in that first half because just <laughs> defensively, it was just solid iron and Portugal were visibly frustrated throughout that first half and and just 17 seconds in the game you know we we saw Raul Gomez you know open up the scoring out there and it just put Portugal you know on their heels right off the top but you know Spain one thing that was really noticeable was how aggressive defensive they were. And, of course, they fouled out with about, you know, eight and a half plus minutes uh, in the first half. You know, tell us, you know, what adjustments they made because they didn't concede a single, um, you know, spot kick as a result once they got that fifth. You know, what what adjustments did they make in order to kind of stifle Portugal after fouling out?
1: You know, they, they dropped to half court. And I think essentially it was also a key moment of the game by dropping so deep, you know, against a team with such weapons in 1v1, against a team that have such good shooters from in the exterior zone as well, like Tiago Burritos, we saw Tomas Paso as well having multiple efforts. Well, he and struck I that he,
0: post. I thought it was a goal for sure, but it just yeah. just rang off it.
1: You know, and it, it was amazing to hear Fede Vidal at one point in a timeout saying, look, today everything is coming off for us. Guys, everything they just thought that the luck would drive them through, and unfortunately, it just doesn't work like that. And I think that that step back that the Spanish players had to take you know, then all of a sudden, the confidence that Portugal get by getting into their rhythm, lots and lots of successful passes, lots and lots of shots from dangerous areas you know, that really does build you up as a team and creates momentum. You know, and Spain would have felt against the ropes, they, I mean. How many could have gone in in that first half as well? There could have been three or four very easily. So, you know, I think the people weren't very happy over here, especially that there's not a huge support for Fede Vidal anyway. But I think his failure to change at key moments was, you know, it cost pain.
0: Now, do you see? I mean, the first half was solid for Spain across. I mean, Chino got that second goal over. Andre Sosa didn't even move. I mean, it was just like a nice shot, just nailed it properly. And they maneuvered the ball relatively well. Um, but as you said, um, you know, they didn't make the adjustments necessary uh, in order to hold off on this win and, and get into the final. Uh, do you see, um, you know, do you see Spain continuing on in the same direction? Uh, do I'm not sure how long the contract is, um, you know, for now, but uh, do you see him? sticking on, going to the qualifying phase, leading to 2024? Or was this kind of, you didn't do enough, uh, we expect to win championships because, well, that's what Spain has done for uh, decades in the game?
1: You know, I I think it's one of those, like, from obviously from an outside opinion, from what you see, like, that the Spanish Federation have always had their line of coaches and has always been the successor of the assistants, the previous coach. You know, and it's gone down that route. They've always been quite a tight knit family, it seems to have just passed on the torch. You know, so I, I don't necessarily think he'll be under a lot of pressure from his own bosses. I think he's under a lot of pressure from the Spanish fans. But, you know, seeing some of the videos from their training sessions, like he, he really has built a nice culture within that team. They seem to be a really close knit bunch. You know, a lot of them do play together in their teams and it, it did help with those players then being on court in their fours together. But, you know, sometimes like the expectations are so high for Spain that I think it'll be a really, really big decision to make of whether they do decide to get rid of Ferry. But I would assume then that it'd be passed on to Rai If not, you know, the guys in the under-19 set Albert Canillas, you know, they, they would be suitable to take over straight away.
0: Yeah, it seems, I mean, Spain probably has the largest uh, depth of coaches worldwide, and they've expanded their style and education. Uh, we've seen the effect of Spanish coaches uh, over in Asia, in particular, is just absolutely immense. Um, you know, at club and international level, um, and and I mean, there's no shortage uh, of coaches to fill a gap if a gap, of course, does become available. But Spain, um, you know, was just that second half. It was, you know, the the old adage is it's a tale of two halves, and we we saw. You know, you mentioned earlier, you know phenomenal performances from ortiz he was an absolute releva- uh, revelation in this this tournament just enjoyable to watch every game but his second half it just seemed to just all fall apart for him uh, you know bad plays bad times bad touches portugal got back because of an ortiz foul on bruno uh, Coelho that uh, you know got buried out there you know wh- what do you think of the second half with ortiz and, and kind of what went wrong for him
1: You know, not necessarily for him. I think, you know, he was he had pulled a lot of minutes throughout that whole tournament. You know, him and Lozano were dragged on in almost every scenario, even when they were sat on their bench resting. If the opposition got a free kick in a dangerous area or a corner, you know, they were back up and taking their bibs off and back on the court. You know, and that all adds up. And it was really, really interesting, the mind games. I think if you want to watch the game back, you know, I was really trying to track from the benches that mind game between when was Zicky going to come on, you know, because boys had a lot of success against him when they played the friendlies here. You know, and, and to begin with, Zicky was not used a lot in the first half. And it was really interesting to see that mind game of when is he going to put him on? Is he going to put him on against Ortiz or against Boys? And, you know, in the end, it, it, it was costly, wasn't it? As soon as they took boys off Ortiz on, you know, he did... He pinned him in that area where he always dominates, and you know that goal was was ridiculous as well. I mean he got a shot away from, from nothing as well. Yeah,
0: yeah I mean, and the first goal you know obviously for uh, you know Coelho, he's, he's just a, he's such a, an important part of this team. He's one of the most uh, least talk about Portuguese players, but he's one of the most valuable. I mean, he scored the winning goal in 2018, you know to give them that that first championship out there. So he goes down in Portuguese futsal folklore for the rest of his career. Um, you know, just his work over at club level in Napoli, um, his national team work, you know, in 2021 and now this tournament, you know, he wasn't going to miss that that PK any day of the week. He just buried it up high and and, and a, a hat tip to him as well, because, you know, Bruno Coelho is not getting the attention that you would normally had seen in the past with Ricardinho being the star. And, you know, you obviously have a, a lot of young players with the Ziki having the spotlight on him and, and speaking of him, you were worried, or you're wondering when he was going to come on. And, and as as soon as he's getting, you know, more minutes out there, it was only three minutes, if I'm not mistaken, when he scored the tying goal. Uh, And it was just something where Portugal were just flooding them out there. And, and I sat there and I'm watching him make this, this beautiful series of footwork. I actually called it uh, Ziggy, Zaggy, Zicky, you know, and uh, (laughs) it was just one of those things where the the kid just, and and he is a kid, you know, I mean, 20, 21 years old, and he just, he's doing what he's doing. Uh, it was just remarkable. Um, you know, what did you think uh, of that goal overall? You know, how, how, how did you think he handled it? Obviously, he scored, so he handled it well. What would you have done if you're a defender, uh, you know, marking a player of that caliber?
1: You know, I think uh, an approach that you often see is the double team only really in that circumstance. You know, if you've got a dominant, dominant pivot like that, it would be to hold him up, you know, one step further behind just so you're aware if he does spin then then you can block the shot and then whilst that happens you know try and get another man across the block lines but you know i've never been a huge believer in ziki massively i've I've seen some amazing performances he's only young like it's not going to be as consistent yet as as he will be in the future where he's going to dominate but you know i think like if you look at the data that I've been tracking, you know, the passes into him are very obvious. Could they cut off the passes into him more? And at the same time, you know, he's very, very left-footed in in the terms of he rolls inside, whereas a pivot like Solano for Spain, also left-footed, but he often spins towards the wing. You know, so I think Ortiz, I mean, Ortiz is one of my favourite players of all time. I mean, and I've spoken to him before, he's an absolute legend of a human being. But, you know, I think at that, that time, I think he, you know, he's, Lack of concentration, I think he could have adjusted his body shape a little better.
0: Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, going forward, Ziki obviously getting the third goal. Uh, I love the play by Pauletta. You know, he just turns around and just absolutely drew everybody towards him. You know, outside touch to, you know, on the the, the line out there. And then just, Ziki was just right place, right time. Beautiful uh, play to get it out. I couldn't believe Portugal went up three to two with a minute left. I was, uh, you know, I... I That's when I sat down and I jumped out of my seat. And, you know, obviously you have a Spanish background, I have a Portuguese background, you know, so it wasn't going your way this then. But, you know, you have more than a few titles, uh, you know, in in Spain's favor over the years. (laughs) They're the most dominant. Even if Portugal wins a few more tournaments down the line, Spain is just, you know, ahead of everyone else. Now, the crowd, I want to ask you, you know, I I thought the Portuguese crowd that went over to Amsterdam to watch, uh, a lot of those guys were there. A lot of girls too, by the way. Uh, in 2021 in Lithuania I got to sit down with them phenomenal people Um, what did you make of the crowd in both the Ukraine Russia game and the Portugal Spain game
1: yeah you know I was fortunate enough to be at that final in Slovenia I say fortunate I also left there with a broken heart but you know the Portuguese fans there as well were amazing and you know I love the Spanish fans but the Spanish fans seem to be scattered more around the stadium at the time or the arena and and you know the Portuguese fans were so condensed, and you could hear it again in the game. I think today there was, they were mentioning there was more Spanish fans there, but it, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't sound, sound like, like it. That. No, not at all. And you know that that does impact a team. It really does build up momentum. Sometimes you don't want to hear it from the bench, like you just you can't hear a lot from the bench anyway. Like you want to hear it from the stands, and you know Ukraine, Russia as well. It sounds and the camera angle, I think makes it better that you can't really see as much of the stands. So it makes it sound as if it is full. It's a full house. And you know, what a shame. I know it's been amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you just wish to see what, what the Netherlands could have done with it, because I think the production has been spot on. I think it's been amazing. I think it's been really good.
0: It's exact. The the production that the KNVB and UEFA have done for this tournament, I think has been the best I've ever seen in futsal. Um, And, it's just everything from the design of the court with the beautiful orange frame. You know, it's not generic. It's something that stands out, uh, the DJ culture, because we all know that, you know, the Netherlands yeah. is massive when it comes to electronic music like house and trance. And I'm a fan as well. Uh, so, you know, even the horns, you know, we, we were making fun of the horn in Lithuania. It sounded like a tractor from the 1930s or an old train. And then you're coming off. Uh, you know, you feel like you're at a, a music festival with 80,000 people every time a timeout with that horn comes in. It's the little subtle things. The DJ has been absolutely uh, spot on uh, in both arenas. Um, I just love what I've seen from the tournament. And it's an absolute crime uh, that we couldn't see a full house. If Had they allowed the full house, I would actually be there, um, you know, watching yeah, the games and, and, and sitting there, probably wiping the sweat off my forehead from from two intense games today. But I, I just love it. And I hope we can see more futsal um, in the Netherlands. You know, and and I keep saying that maybe a final four, you know, Champions League uh, would be fantastic out there. Um, but, you know, goodness, my my tip of the hat to those guys. Um, is there anything in particular in the marketing that you really felt has stood out as truly elite, world class and that other tournaments may wish to implement uh, in the future?
1: You know, to be honest, I think that their social media presence has been real good. It's been like some of the videos we've seen, not just necessarily from them, but also I think the teams have really engaged with it this year. So the finish video that they did was incredible as well.
0: Super fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think just overall, you know, they also did the, the program, but just, just like I was saying, just the product when you're watching it on TV and you see the lights go off, even in timeouts, and they're blasting out the electronic music, like, come on, that gets any crowd going, you know, and... I think it's one of those that whenever something goes bad, I think a few people have complained about the center circle as well. You can just see a little faint line. You know, people jump onto social media to complain about such little details, but we never go on social media and really promote how good the overall thing has been. You know, it's, it's been just a joy to watch. It's been a really good product overall.
0: Yeah, the tournament from start, and I mean, we're not finished yet, but we do have uh, the third-place match and the gold medal, of course, uh, on Sunday. Um, Honestly, this has been one of the best tournaments, period. Maybe one of the best Euros of all time. Um, I take it you're a fan of the the tournament moving to 16 teams?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think at the end of the day, the the teams have justified that they should be there. I think there's also other teams as well that that could easily have had a shout of being there. You know, and it's one of those that... It gives everybody a fair chance as well. I was never a fan of the three teams in a group. I think it's it's awful. You know, the UEFA the UEFA futsal before it was the Champions League used to be a similar format, and I don't think you necessarily get the best teams going through if they just have one bad game or stumbling stumbling on a little hurdle. I think it's a fair it's a fair way to do it. Two teams go through, you know, and let let the quarterfinals onwards do their magic. So yeah, well, I've loved it.
0: Now, in your opinion, I mean, we we saw a definite increase, uh, not just at the World Cup, but also, you know, through this tournament and and teams like Georgia and Finland and everyone stepping up. I even thought Slovenia was quite solid as well. Uh, You know, Slovakia had a nice run of it. When do we move to 24 teams, in your opinion? How many years off do you think we're away from 24 teams at the European Championship?
1: I I think you do have to be a little bit careful, though, like I'm saying, although there are other teams as well that could uh, claim into also should be there you know France have been good in recent years as well and they did well in the last euros you know but really looking into it, it is 24 teams at how much is that lower than the quality of the product are we then going to get games with 5-0 score lines you know and upwards and i think you've got to be really careful um, in terms of that yes it's good for promotion in terms of getting a wider audience but then will will the the crowds drop, you know, as we saw in Lithuania as well. I know there was very little crowds and we need to make sure that we're filling out arenas just to make the product look even better.
0: Yeah, I mean, eventually we're going to have to see it move up. I'm just wondering if it's going to be within this decade. Um, I would say it's got to be towards the end of the decade that you're probably going to get the 24 unless the quality of the teams moves up exceptionally. and And that comes with investment. You know, you mentioned France in particular. Uh, with the the great work they've done. I love watching the highlights uh, from the the French Federation and and how they do futsal. And the street Mm -hmm. culture that they have there is only going to tap into it more. Um, You know, the the DFB, the German Federation, uh, the investments they've made, you know, the new Bundesliga, uh, sadly COVID's Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, prevented a bigger launch from happening, but they have full-time employees um, that are just, you know, ahead uh, in in terms of investment of 95% of uh, european nations i mean and, and I'm, i'll exclude you know spain from that one but I'm, I'm really interested to see what this decade brings uh for european futsal development and uefa's investment at the unIT level the women's uh i want to see more women's uh, events and, and some youth events for them but i i'm thinking the 24 teams comes maybe towards the end of the decade but um for now the 16 team format uh been some phenomenal games uh i can't wait for the next tournament now um, one question I do have, though, is would you like to see the tournament every four years or go back to every two?
1: Oh, come on. Man. I think every every two years. I mean, now now we've got that huge wait until the next big tournament. You know, I think it's one of those. Uh, I know in football, they're trying to get a World Cup every two years. And I've been against that because of the loads of games they have. And but I think for futsal, why wouldn't you create these tournaments that are going to engage a lot more people across countries? You know, at the end of the day, people support their international teams more than they do clubs, in, in my opinion. You know, they can really jump on board. I'm sure there was a lot of Dutch children who would have either loved to be there or they loved being there if they got to watch the team. And that creates idols, it creates heroes, and then people look up to that and it's only going to help improve the sport. So I think it's, it's a no-brainer to go back to every two years if possible and you know, really build from there
0: yeah hopefully uh laurent Morel, the head of uEFA Futsal, is watching i, I think he's <laughs> a little busy with operations great guy uh, bring it back every two years. I love this tournament so much i I, I can't wait the twenty twenty fours world cup it's too long it's too long for me yes. um, mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting now where would you what would you uh, let me ask you where would you host the next uh UEFA futsal euro if you had your chance
1: i I think it's one of those I think at the end of the day, my head is saying. Give it to another country like Holland, you know, developing country. Imagine Finland, what the production they could do. Now, my heart is saying a place where you might be visiting uh, in, for the Copa España, which is Jaén. If you look at the Olivo Arena that they've built, I mean, that could be madness. I mean, you could you could talk about big, big crowds potentially, depending on location. But yeah, like I said, it's it's one of those. It's head and heart. My heart says. Spain to pull off another big one, but head, you know, let's try and build other other countries. You know, I think at the end of the day, I think England have facilities to do it, but obviously it's a touchy subject of whether the English want to get involved in hosting a tournament, never mind having a, a participating team.
0: Yeah, let, let's make sure they get their teams back first and foremost, and let's make sure they get a women's team before awarding them a tournament. But I agree, if England were to host the arenas, I mean, could you imagine the 0-2 arena with futsal? Oh yeah, no, no, oh not no.
1: you know, we've played before at the Copper Box, which was built as part of the, the Olympic Park. You know, the Copper Box is a great place as well. I'm sure you could... Now, I, I do worry about ticket sales. I know that at the end of the day, like, it's been relatively small crowds across the domestic leagues here. In inventory, but you know, in the copper box—that that could be
0: amazing. It'd be something. I've always enjoyed the the Balkan-hosted tournaments, just because the fans are rabid. I mean, the Serb fans—it was just wild to watch them <laughs> in, in their home, and it was like, okay, this is this is you know, this is football yeah. country. You know, the but, Germans
1: as well—they could—they could put a, a good project together. You know, the the Bundesliga has looked good. This looked like a good project so far. So.
0: I would love to host it in France or Germany. I'd like it in Germany because that way everything could get, you know, fly over to Frankfurt. You Europeans are so lucky with your low cost airlines. And, you know, I was I was talking over to Damon Sean. He's like, Yeah, you know, mate, I got a flight for 30 quid. I'm like, you couldn't you couldn't get an Uber for thirty dollars halfway across Toronto. Uh, and I'm sitting here here and you know, going cross border on a flight. So uh, you know, I'd love to see Germany do it. I think, you know, whenever they organize something. I was there for the 2006 uh, FIFA Football World Cup, and that was just a, a world-class event from start to finish. Full safety, uh, great arenas, great everything. Um, I'd love to see Germany get it and do something. But if Finland were to get it, you're not going to get any complaints off me. Uh, Miko, the job that he did out there, now he's stepping back, maybe going to work on Futsal Planet and take a little bit of the, the workload off Luca. Who knows what he's up there? But um, do you anticipate uh, Miko? moving forward um, you know in another coaching uh, role uh, sooner than later or do you think he takes a, a season off?
1: I obviously think you know at the end of the day there's going to be a lot of clubs that want him there especially in the Spanish league it'd be interesting you know the monies in Russia if people did want to go that way I don't necessarily think he might take another international role I think he, he's done his job I think he's so highly respected in Finland um, yeah it'd be really interesting to see but obviously i think he'd be successful wherever he ended up no matter what i mean what he has done with finland it's just been phenomenal and you know that video where it showed as well how some of the stuff is player driven although it's player driven that is that still comes from the leadership at the top like, absolutely to build, a, to build a culture like that of watching games for three hours after you've just played it like, it's madness like that's that's what you want like the detail that they were picking up, and it only helped them get better and better. You know, and the culture he's built there, hats off to him as well.
0: Absolutely. And, and it was interesting when I went to Helsinki, just before uh, going to the World Cup in Lithuania, people actually knew uh, what futsal was. They're like, oh, you know, you came from Canada. And I said, yes, I'm going to the futsal World Cup. They're like, oh, yes, we have a team here in Finland. I'm like, yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> and so it was, you know, I did say, you know, that I I was working in the sport and enjoying it, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a blueprint for an FA um, you know, particularly with limited resources. You know, you look at the English FA, you know, nothing's unlimited, but the English FA could outspend half the UEFA nations with their budget. Um, so, you know, everything Finland's done, hopefully this trickles across all of Scandinavia for some increased investment out there. And I, I just can't wait to see it. Finland gets to host an event um, and I'm pretty sure the FA will put in a bid for the next euro. There, there's no doubt in my mind about it. Um, but it'll be exciting. I know we're already talking about the next tournament, but we still got to talk about this tournament. (laughs) Finals, Portugal, Russia. What do Russia need to do to win the championship?
1: They need to get their physio sorted out, Antoshkin and Rubinho, 100%. You know, I really, the role of Antoshkin, I mean, if we look through the data side of it and away from the data, you know, data-wise, we've got the weapon of a shot that he has the amount of opportunities that he creates and that are created whilst he's on court. And then the leadership role. I mean, that that footage of him before that second half, grabbing the tactics board and, you know, dragging his men, you know, you here, you here, you here. You know, that'll stick with me for a long time. And, you know, today I, I wasn't that impressed with what they've got without him. Although I've been a huge fan of Abramov in the past, you know, Shishkala as well has been playing really well. Sokolov has been a great pivot. I don't know. I I think that they'll struggle. I think that, you know, Eric, Dramatos, they can defend against a pivot quite well. So you need to have other options. And, you know, without Antoshkin and Rubinho, I think they will really struggle. I can't see anybody other than Portugal taking that, even with those two.
0: Yeah, I mean, Rubinho is just... You know, Mm Wale Riso was on the show. I I-, I love this analogy he made. He just called them the magician that shows you the trick and still manages to fool you. And he just you know what's gonna come. You know what he's gonna do. And he, he doesn't does ever- wrack in
1: his shoes, he basically starts saying, Look, I'm gonna take you. <laughs> it's madness.
0: Yeah, it's like it's 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 like it's like the matador charging the bull. That's kind of how I look at him doing it. And, and Antoshkin's had a breakout tournament. You know, not a lot of people really talking about him. You know, a lot of Russian stars obviously getting more attention. But, you know, his goals out there, I mean, have been absolutely instrumental in Russia, you know, getting to where they're at. Hopefully the injury is not too serious. Um, where, where do you think Russia has been their absolute strongest? Has it been, uh, you know, through the deliveries of Antoshkin being at the right place at the right time? Has it been? Uh, the solid, uh, you know, court-to-court end play of Cixcala. Where is where is their expertise really come in?
1: You know, interestingly, if you look at the stats as well, they've not scored in transition, so that defense to attack. But equally, they've not conceded any goals in transition. You know, now, that's a huge part of the game now, all of a sudden. And if you're just keeping that at zero, you know, you really – it just shows that you're dominating the tempo of the game, in my opinion. You know, you're really, really getting stuff right. And a key data point for them as well has just been the production rate from set pieces. You know, Russia and Spain, that's why I really thought that they would be the two to go through from these semifinals. finals has been purely based on, the, you know, the, the increase of the set piece again. It's, it's a re-emergence in futsal, you know, and they've been devastating. The amount of shots they even produce today from set pieces was just off the charts and you know this has been the tournament of the set piece and the left footer i think there's going to be some interesting stats about the, how many left footed goals has been and you know that that's it with so many different weapons that that's the benefit you can have
0: and and the key to Portugal's success where do you think that's going to
1: rest you know at the end of the day i, I said that he's had some really quiet games in the tournament but, you know, Zikite when he stepped up, it was that opening game as well where Portugal didn't look too good. And then all of a sudden they managed to connect with him. And that 3-1 system of Ziki it was it was top quality, you know. And it's been really interesting seeing the youngsters. You know, if you had to pick the three standout players for Portugal, you couldn't look anywhere else than Ziki, Afonso and Tomas. You know, the three of them have just been sensational. So.
0: Yeah, the future of Portugal looks bright. And it's just, they're the scrappiest team in world futsal. Just when you think, you know, they're done. Teams give them a, a little bit of a, a, they give them a millimeter and Portugal comes and takes the full meter out from them. And I, I, I don't want to talk too much about him. You know, he's a friend of mine and a guy I respect so much as, you know, George Braz, you know, the work that he's done coming now off, what, four consecutive, uh, you know, futsal international coach of the year, reigning European champion, reigning uh, world champion and an ability to repeat out here and, and have the true ultimate golden generation uh, definition uh, for for his team, for his career. What have you noticed uh, from George um, through his evolution as a coach and, you know, what, what has he really done to make this Portuguese team uh, not just a winner, but believe that they're unstoppable?
1: You know, the one thing I have noticed, and I've seen this more so in this tournament, not some, and and in the friendlies when he, they were in here in Spain, you know, it's been that trip away from the tactics board, and some of his timeouts or any little periods, it's purely psychological. You know, he really knows how to get the best out of his players. He's given them little bits of information that's going to pick up. You know, their the psychological corner as they'll call it in the FA. You know, th- that psychological corner in tournaments is proving to be what what matters. You know, the players really then believe in what he's telling them. And and I think that, above everything, you know, tactically, you've got to be spot on. But I think he trusts the tactics at training. And when he gets to a game, he will try and make the the little adjustments, but make sure that psychologically they've got that head start. You know, and how many times have you you just said, have they just managed to tip that game? One goal wins against Ukraine. There you go, 1-0. You know, that could have gone either way that game as well. The opening game could have gone either way, but we really know that Portugal are going to drag it out that result. So.
0: Yeah, it was remarkable. I mean, yeah, I liked what you were talking about during his timeouts. The one that always stands out to me is the quarterfinal versus Spain, um, you know, where he sat there and I felt bad for that board. He must have threw it, broke it, tossed it, whatever. And he's a very... Cool, calm, and collected coach, um, you know. And but when he means business, you know, he lets people know, and he got them fired up. And Portugal were able to, you know, pull it off in extra time and do it again here. Um, and there was a time where Spain just had Portugal's number at any tournament. You sat there, you saw Spain on the schedule as a Portuguese fan, and you're going, "Oh, great, them again." And now it's been, you know, three tournaments in a row that Portugal has, you know, finished them off. So, I mean, you, you mentioned the young players from Portugal. You know how important is it? You know, I mean, you're a big person when it comes to data and statistics. You know, what's if there is a a key number in terms of age, average age, or the mix of veterans versus young? Have you noticed any statistics or data that kind of supports you know this infusion or when the the, the ripe age is?
1: You know, I've not I've not necessarily looked into age before, and, and it's quite interesting that my journey with data has only been relatively recently. You know, as a player as well, I, I was always off the cuff. I really believed in street football. I believed in players learning their trade in the playgrounds, and I still believe that. I believe that players learn more in the playground than they le- they ever will. You know, with a tactics board and with data. You know, data is that little finishing piece. Now I think that's essential. But overall, you know, we're seeing these players come through at such uh, I say early ages, but 2021. 20, you know, and they're really doing doing their job and, and meeting expectations and beating expectations. And, you know, the the way that Antonio Pérez, who should have been in the Spain sport, in my opinion, he performed against Portugal. He was one of the best performers. And I think Fede Vidal got a lot of criticism for that decision. I think he didn't trust Antonio as much as George Braz would trust his youngsters. And, you know... It's all in hindsight saying, well, he could have done this, he could have done that. But, you know, if you're going to build a long-lasting legacy, Spain won the under-19 jurors comfortably. You know, why not start trusting those players?
0: Oh, no, that's a great analysis of it. You know, you have to go and and cycle them in. And when I was speaking with George after the semifinal and asked him, you know, what the key was, and it was always keeping the, the, the veteran sharp with a fresh blood infusion. And every single tournament is a new cycle. Um, you know, he, he's just a, a relentless coach out there. And I'd like to see, you know, what Spain's under-19s in the future are going to be. Are there any, um, you know, key players from the under-19s that, you know, are just on the verge of making the team, but not quite that you think everybody should be looking forward to seeing?
1: You know, as I just said, Antonio, Antonio Perez from Jaén. You know, he's running out his contract this summer, so it's going to be interesting to see where his next move is. So he's he's currently a student at the University of Chayenne as well. So I think I'm not too sure when he finishes his degree, but I think that will then impact on when he moves to, you know, one of the big clubs, as much as I love Chayenne, you know, but I think at the end of the day where the money is, he's going to have to go there. In futsal, that's what you unfortunately have to do. You know, so definitely keep an eye out for him. Also the, the goalkeeper, Chemi, you know, I think he's going to be a great player. And there's also some, players who aren't necessarily deemed to be young, but I'd love to see them be given more chances. You know, Mellado proved himself for these Euros hugely. He was a key part of that team. You know, Catela as well is relatively young and they're, they're the players we've got to keep an eye out on.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I'm going to be attending the Spanish cup. Hopefully we run into each other and, and get to share a beverage of sorts and high end. And, uh, yeah. you know, maybe it sounds like a, an interview. I got to pick up this uh, U19 superstar coming up. So if okay. I got to ask you, Russia or Portugal, final score, who's winning this title?
1: As I said, I, I, we're going to go off the assumption that Antoshkin's not playing, so I'm going to go, you know, I think it's going to be a close one. I think it'll be a 2-1 Portugal.
0: I, I like the one goal result. I'm going to go 3-2 Portugal. Um, and you know what? I'm going to say during regulation. I'm not even going to go to extra time, yeah, although I, I want extra time. I want as much futsal yeah, as really we've possible.
1: Not, we've not had any penalties yet as well. I know the, the, the lottery, but you know, it's good to watch.
0: Don't jinx it. Why would you do such a <laughs> thing? <laughs> well, let me ask one question. You know, i thinking about, you know, playing time out there. Do you think that futsal should go to the two twenty-five 25-minute halves? We saw what happened with the economic collapse, you know, about 10-odd years ago, and Russia, you know, changed their rules to increase the time on the court. Um, How do you feel that would affect international and club futsal if we switched from 220s to 225s?
1: I think at the end of the day... The option is there, especially with squads of 14, depending on the competition now. I don't think it'd be the right move. I think there's a lot of studies out there suggesting that younger audiences have very little attention span. So that, you know, football's having the same issues, that people don't want to watch 90 minutes and the rest of football because it's too time-consuming. You know, so one of the magic parts of futsal is that intensity that 20, 20 and 20 offer you know, stop clock. But, yeah, I think if anything, you know, you could even cut down the time because it's still an hour and a half by the time any game is finished. Interesting, I don't know if you've noticed as well in these Euros, it really has dragged on. It's been about an hour and 45 from start to finish in some of these games. So, you know, if we're going to draw a younger audience, like I think we have to try and avoid the, the longer half, stuff.
0: You think a two-hour broadcast is essentially kind of the sweet spot for the sport?
1: Yeah, I think it, it, it's one of those. And, you know, we have to look at, at the future fans of the sport. Now, what do they want? You know, they want heroes to look up to. They want those amazing goals. They want the overhead kicks. They want Horvat's goal, you know. And, and to they don't want to sit and watch, for them, the boring stuff over and over again. They want a short product that's going to be exciting. And that's, for me, what Futsal offers. It's that excitement. It's that that quick pace, even though it's stop clock, it's, it, they get on with it, it's quick. You know, football, I love football as well, but it's it's really, it's sometimes, I, I mean, I'm a huge Man, Man City fan, and I go and watch that relatively recently as well against Southampton. And, you know, they wasted, Southampton wasted half the game. I think Man City ended up having the ball in play for about 50 minutes in the whole game. You know, come on, it's just, nobody wants to watch that, so let's get... The excitement, let's keep it, you know, and keep it nice, nice at 20 and 20. I well, like it.
0: Well, you know, we got through the semis and the final preview. Let's talk about On The Court magazine. And as I said at the beginning of the broadcast, it is the best futsal magazine out there. Now, you're three issues in. As I said, the third issue now available is only two British pounds, less than a Starbucks coffee, and issues one and two are free. And I think there's a stats report as well.
1: There was, There's some stats reports. You know, they weren't available to download at the moment. At the time, we emailed those out to subscribers. But, you know, we're, we're probably going to upload everything we have onto that that shop element, even if it's for free. You know, the, it'll all appear on there at some point.
0: Well, well, tell us about, you know, how you started this. You know, you, you started with your brother, John, who likes to be called Juan, but we're going to call him John <laughs> in this broadcast. We're chirping him because he's coaching football right now out there. He's working with the Oxford goalkeepers. could have join us on the show, but I know he's going to listen to it and he's going to have a laugh when we chirp him a little bit on it. So, tell us how about you and your brother came about in creating on the court magazine.
1: Yeah, I think just just before I talk about that, I just wanted to get this on record as well. I just wanted to say, you know, a huge thank you to you as well for every retweet, every shout out. You know, the impact that that has had has been phenomenal. You know, without people like you we would not be able to carry on with the project, you know, but yeah. So originally on the court was born. It wasn't, I was not involved actually to begin with. It was my brother and, uh, John Curran, who's one of his players at Bloomsbury. And they began as webinars during the, the first lockdown, you know, so they had some amazing guests on there, like Mark Tolra, the Spanish player as well. And, you know, from there, then I was still working as a teacher and a housemaster at a military college. But, you know, we had more and more lockdowns coming. I said to my brother, well, why don't we look into making some written content like a magazine? I said, there's not a lot of coach education in English. You know, we're fortunate enough that we can read the Spanish stuff. Why don't we try and pass that on? And then we left it a little bit. We got talking. We said, well, what have you been doing in your spare time? I said, well, I've been analyzing teams. I'm just making reports of teams and I might send them to coaches like professional coaches and say here's what i know about this team and he said oh that's funny i've been doing the same thing and we said well, why don't we just post it out in a magazine and we went back to the magazine idea and then yeah that's how it got born we said let's just try and grow the community and yeah that's it
0: i love it no it's i mean every issue is just number one it's super attractive you know i, I mean one of my first jobs you know when i was younger i worked for a football magazine here in canada and you know that that was an era of you know uh you're grabbing the paper getting the ink on your hands it wasn't it wasn't really top class stuff but you know with the evolution of you know adobe and all these other you know services out there for graphic design it's just so well put together um and, and it's funny i mean I, I look at the color scheme and and you got the the blue cord of the futsal which i also you know implement with inside futsal you know where where was the idea for the design uh, and 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 let's be honest, you wanted to make a real sexy and attractive magazine. What was the real, um, you know, uh, how did the talks for the design come out? I was really curious about that.
1: You know, to be honest, you've got the wrong person for for that element of it. You know, I'm normally the guy, I've got loads of ideas, I'm firing out ideas, this, let's do this, 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 and this, and I just try and drive. Once I know an idea, I'll drive it. But, you know, John's the man in terms of design. It's quite funny that it actually linked quite well with the team that he coaches. It used to be called Pro Futsal London, and it was a similar color scheme. So it was that dark blue, light blue, and white, elements of white. So, you know, that's, all of that part is down to him. He's an absolute genius in terms of design. And to be fair to him, for you to ask him, he'd say he's, he's completely new to it. We've taught ourselves Photoshop from scratch basically he's got a history with it cuz he's an architect so he knows his way around software and design so yeah he's the he's the genius behind the design part but yeah the the color schemes you know we've looked into changing it recently but we kind of like it we couldn't we couldn't change it up we felt too attached to that color so
0: no i like it i, I like the uh the the light blue of the cord and white i added black uh just because i just I like the color scheme. I like the, uh, it, it's almost like Estonian flag colors out there. I was uh, really taken by that when I went to visit uh, Tallinn. Um, now, there's so many different things you guys talk about. I mean, we talked about, obviously, the graphics, how it started. Uh, the Euro preview was phenomenal. I enjoyed it so much. People people should still read it, even though we have two games left in this tournament. Um, it's just an enjoyable read out there. Now, you mentioned, uh, I think in this latest issue, you had, talked about pivot play. You, you mentioned uh, Lozano, who's one of the greatest players out there. How do you decide on which subjects to tackle?
1: You know, originally, I mean, we've set out a six-month plan. Like, We sit down and we speak a lot over the phone and on Zoom and whatnot, and we try and decide an overall topic and what we can do. I think at the moment, we're still trying to find our feet. We're still trying to find out who our audience is and who, who do they want to read about. Who do they, which teams do they want to hear about? Which new teams do they maybe want to hear about? They might have heard about them a little bit, but they don't know too much about them. You know, so we really try and find that balance of with the pivot play, we want to target new coaches, people who maybe have never heard of futsal or have heard a little bit. So can we give them something to read about? And then it's that tough challenge of, okay, well, Lofano is a relatively famous name in our sport. There's still a lot of English people that might not have heard about him. How can we make, how can we create futsal idols? So that's our second part.
0: Absolutely spot on.
1: You know, and then also just out of passion, I mean, my first ever article was about high end because of one of my favorite coaches, Danny Rodriguez, you know, and he, he loved it. He got in touch with us straight away. He absolutely loved it. You know, just because it was a symbolic team to watch when they were the first high team to win a cup, you know, it was huge. So yeah, it's really trying to find that level. We're currently trying to find our feet. Um, we expected a lot more readers in England. It's not actually been like that. You know that in terms of our downloads, it's only been about forty-five to fifty percent from England. So you know we're constantly trying to adapt to the product. We're not going to give up until we find that that magic solution, and then from there we'll have to keep adapting. But yeah, that's that's how we go about it.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a, a big potential market. Um, I, I, we know that England has a, a ton of grassroots futsal. You know, people up at 6 in the morning taping courts, people moving out the goals, uh, doing everything to build the sport out there. And and the, the country has a lot of potential for it. It's just the footy administrators need to really pick it up and, and take it up to the next level. But we do see the sports growth in the United States. Uh, Canada, you know, we have a lot of work to do over here but still a ridiculous amount of uh, futsal potential out here. in Australia, I mean, Australia has been around for 40, 50 years, and and hopefully with their club championships, uh, you know, uh, currently, uh, you know, taking place out there, it's going to be something where I think you guys will have um, a reduction in England being a 40 to 50% and hopefully having a little bit more pickup uh, in other English-speaking nations out there. Um, But, you know, for people who are not – Native English speakers that want to learn English. I mean, and you're a futsal fan, this is the perfect way to start learning English, no?
1: Yeah, and and, you know, we've looked into before releasing Spanish copies as well because, you know, there's not, although people are trying to learn English over here, it's not actually as strong as, you know, it could be. It's a bit difficult for them. I think they're just like looking at the pictures maybe, but that could be a good way of them picking up some words. Um, but yeah, as I said, it was a bit of a shock. You know, we expected a lot more from the UK. It's actually not been like that, which has also been quite exciting to see the extent of readers that we've had around the world. It's been crazy. The amount of messages we've had from people in every corner of the planet, It's thinking, "Well, they're reading what, what we're putting out there." You know, we don't claim to be experts. We just we just try and put whatever we think is beneficial to people. We're still learning. The craft ourselves, and you know, we're just trying to find, like I said, that magic solution of what do people want to read? Do they enjoy stats? Do they enjoy analysis? Do they just like some subjective opinions? You know, and that's it.
0: And you know, the the magazine is very data driven. I mean, you see it in the graphics, you see it in the numbers out there. Um, you know, where did you kind of you know start? You said you're relatively new to it, um, but you know, you've done a heck of a job so far. You know, what's the the, the the biggest thing for you guys in, in putting data and stats out there and, and particularly explaining newer concepts to coaches such as XG? Uh, maybe you could even explain that, you know, for people who are new to coaches uh, or new to coaching in futsal out there. where's, where's your, your specialty lie? What's your process like? And explain, I guess, you know, the, the little terminologies that you're going through, particularly with XG, if you don't mind.
1: No, the thing is... um. I've just been a coach. I mean, I, I was a, a teacher by trade as soon as I came out of uni. Like I said, living at a military college. So I I just coached on the side, I coached a university team, Nottingham Trent, you know, I had relatively good success with them. And then bit by bit I decided, well, you know, there's elements of data here that we could use. You start recognizing patterns that you see and then you see at the top level you see the impact it could have. And as I've said, I'm not, I'm not here to claim that Excel is the way forward to, to make your team guaranteed success. It's such a magical sport, Futsal, that it's not that. But I do think it's that 20%, that 30% that maybe that, that countries can learn from as well. You know, that recently I posted the stats about set-pieces. You know, England have a really, really low percent of set-piece goals, under 10%. You know, it's just not the same. The World Cup and the Euros stats are ridiculously similar. I can't even begin to describe how similar they are between the World Cup and the Euros. You know, and that was really interesting. So I thought, right, well, I'm just going to, you know, keep tracking as much as I can in previous tournaments. I've now built a database of thousands of goals. And, yeah, that's where the passions come from there. But in terms of XG, so it's a huge... Thing in football at the moment, you know that was written by a, a collaborator called Ben Pickford, and his work is incredible. So definitely try and follow Ben Pickford on Twitter. But yeah, XG is expected goals, so it's based the probability of scoring from certain areas, and he built that model based on watching loads of goals and seeing that. Well, how many times would a shot from that area go in? And obviously, as an example. Within the six metre area, there's a high probability of of scoring goals. Now, interestingly enough, what we've been tracking is that that zone is now changing. So we now see a lot of goals around the 10 metre point or a bit further. You know, players like Lothano can hit a ball so well from there. And yeah, that's expected goals. But obviously it's it's an adaptable model and we're just trying to offer interesting Models that people could maybe use that could change maybe how they coach. So, as an example, as I said, this has been the yours of the left footed goal, you know. But when you're training your goalkeepers, how many left footers do you have in your squad? So, is it really relevant to them? It's also at the top level, you're looking at about 75% of goals are one touch. Now, at training, do you make your sessions one touch finish as a rule because of that? Or do you just leave it, or just score with however many, you know? And that's the magic. The magic of data is that you can guide your training sessions.
0: So when you're creating, you know, your data and putting them in, and in the magazine, it's just it's just chock full of great stuff. I love it. Are, are you actually watching games and 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 clicking on a spreadsheet, or you're writing down on a piece of paper and then enter it in? I mean, it's it's just such like a unique way um, of calculating, and it's never really been done before. Um in futsal, at least in the English language side of things, um you know is it something that you know you were just you know kind of learning right off the top and and just saying, you know maybe I'll try this method, maybe this method's better you know have you have you mixed it up, or is it just something where you know you found a nice little uh you know comfort zone to do it?
1: Yeah, well, basically, you just nailed it on the head you know i've not i've have just thought right try, trial and error of the best system obviously i as I said with Photoshop, it's basically just been from scratch tutorials trial and error, right, What what is interesting, in my opinion, as a coach, what would be interesting to track, you know, laptop open, notepads open, PowerPoint open, Excel open. And then, yeah, at the moment, I've reached a point that I am able to do it with coordinates, which is a very common way of doing it in football. And, you know, those coordinates, then you can match up, right, how many shots did that player have? And it's just a few, a few clicks away. Um, but, yeah, it's really been trial and error. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, you know, I say fortunately enough, you know, in October, I gave up everything and decided to move over to Spain. I currently I've just decided to throw everything into on the court, you know, taking a huge risk with that. And fortunately enough, I have the time to watch four or five matches every single day. And at the end of the day, that's how I've managed to build up a database. I un- understand that people don't have that time to do that. But, you know, that's why I'm trying to do it and to try and help as much as I can.
0: Now, are you available for hire from clubs or international teams that may be looking for high performance data that's easy to read uh, and implement into their systems?
1: Yeah, interesting. We put out a survey recently and it was one of the little things we looked into. And obviously, I think a few teams in England, there's a little contrast of you know, opinions there because my brother's coaching in England so I think obviously I understand that, that there's a bit of clash of interest there but in terms of internationally you know we've had a few coaches reach out to us and ask what have we got on these what have we got on them you know we've had a few coaches that have been at the Euros uh, assistant coaches and whatnot liking a few tweets we've put up and you know that that, that makes our day that really does make our day people retweeting any like on our, our content really does make our data, it makes those hundreds of hours seem worth it. You know, and when, when people see the magazine, we know it's not perfect. Like we're trying to we're trying to adapt it. There might be a few typos in there. At the end of the day, we're not magazine producers, <laughs> even though we're trying to. And, you know, I don't I, they they might realize it, they might not, but I mean there's hundreds and hundreds of hours have gone into some of the stuff we've done. And some of the stuff that we've not even posted out, like I said, I've got thousands of goals, thousands of data points. So yeah, if, if coaches were interested, I love networking with people. So if they just want to drop me a message, I'm, I'll happily chat football for hours as we have done just now.
0: So. I love it. And I can tell you right now with the data in the magazine, if he doesn't have everything that's published, any coaches out there, any players, I mean, players got to be interested in this too, and players are going to become the next coaches. You know, let's be honest out here. So, if you need some of the best data in the world, you got to talk to Super Nerd David. Okay, All right? <laughs> He's going to get it going out there. I love it. I'll tell you right now. I, I wrote, um, I wrote you guys. I said, I don't care how many issues you come out with. If it was weekly, monthly. I'm your first full-time subscriber across the board. Shut up and take my money because I love (laughs) it. And I'm not a coach. That's it. You know, I used to coach recreational, you know, and play recreational. I never had the talent to to get to the level. But with the work that you guys are doing, I think you're going to inspire a heck of a lot of coaches and players to move forward on it. Now, again, for those who don't know, On the Court, available at onthecourtcoach.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's And then on Twitter, Instagram, where do we find you, your brother, and OTC?
1: You know, OTC is OTC underscore coach as well. Or if you just search on the court, I'm sure we'll pop up. And then, yeah, our surname is probably the best way to find us on Twitter, Tapio Owens. I think my brother is Jate Owens. That's J-A-T Owens. I think that's his Twitter. And mine's 12DTO. So, yeah, any – any messages, like I said, I, I just love it. You know, at the end of the day, I've taken this risk is, because it's what I live for. It's, I live for futsal. So I'll happily chat any interesting points that people have, anything that they've recognized. You know, I had a, a conversation a few days ago about the amount of shots that are on the left wing. It's amazing the bias that all teams have towards that wing. Now, why is that? We'll uh, happily discuss stuff like that all day. So.
0: I love it. That's the kind of stuff that we like to hear. It's different. And, you know, likewise, I mean, I didn't think there was a lot of English podcasts or, you know, shows. And, you know, like I said, we're on the soft launch. But the numbers are pretty nice so far. And I think your numbers are going to only go up out there. I love the work you do. Every person in futsal, every person who knows someone who likes futsal should be picking up OTC. That's On The Court magazine. The best in the world, bar none. Fight me. I'll challenge you on it because it's that good. David, thank you so much, my friend, for checking us out. I can't wait to put this up on Spotify, YouTube. And we're going to be on iTunes tonight for all you Apple heads out there. And Sunday, we got the championship third place match coming in. We got about one or two more guests coming in. And then we're going to do a live, hopefully live, post-game show from the UEFA Futsal Euro Championships out there. David, you got to come back on the show and you gotta get your brother on here. You gotta get him a day. Yeah, I'm gonna get
1: yeah, that's unforgivable. What he's done tonight, being up football, that's unforgivable.
0: Uh, but, I uh, I got the solution. Uh in high end for the Spanish Cup, pints are on John.
1: A hundred percent. You know, I, yeah. I just wanted to say, Chris, you know, thank you so much once again. Like I said, every bit of support that you've given our project has just been incredible. You know, every little retweet and the shout-outs that you've given to us constantly. You know, it's massive, like without people like you, like we simply can't keep going, we can't grow and we can't give back to the community, which is, you know, what we're really trying to do. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time again this, e- well, this evening for me, whatever it is there for you and, you know, let, let's meet up in high end, let's make it happen.
0: Absolutely, well listen, the pleasure's all mine. Any likes, shout outs, tweets, everything's been well-deserved. Uh, you, I, it's, it's one of those projects that you sit there after reading it and going, god i wish i created this first it's so fantastic uh, and it's just brilliant so i think everybody should pick it up uh and i hope uh you know the gamble pays off you know moving to spain starting a life in much sunnier climates than england or canada provides so i'm very happy and i will definitely 100 percent see you at the spanish cup over in spain uh in about just over a month's time so um you know there we go ladies and gentlemen david tapia owens and his brother juan Yes, we said Juan, not John. Give you props because you're awesome graphic designer, buddy. Everyone go pick up OTC On The Court magazine. As soon as you stop listening to this, go to the website, pick it up now. Three magazines for two British pounds. You're insane not to. All right. We'll see you guys back tomorrow for the next edition. And we're going to have some real fun for the rest of the championship. David Tapiohans, you're awesome. Your brother's awesome. Keep up the great work at OTC. And thanks for coming on, my brother.
1: Thank you, mate. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. I'm not afraid to